The Steve Lobby Agency presents The Christian Publishing Show, a podcast for writers who want to advance Christ's kingdom using the written word. Here's your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. It's no question that we live in a cancel culture. It may be tempting to bury our heads in the sand and be sure that we never do anything to offend anyone. But that's not how the Bible calls us to live. Countless times throughout the Bible, men and women of God took a stand for what they believed, and many of them were canceled because of their faith. In fact, that is where Christian publishing comes from. Christian publishing comes beca- came because Christian books were pushed out of the bookstores back in the day. So we created our own bookstores. We created our own publishing companies because we didn't want to be canceled. As Christians, uh, what should our response to this cancel culture be? As authors, what should our response to this cancel culture be? Uh, and we have a special guest today uh, who's experienced firsthand what it's like to be canceled by big tech censorship. So we're going to have an exciting uh, conversation today. She's an author, an international speaker, and teacher, and a human rights activist, author of Choose Zoe, a story of unplanned pregnancy and the case for life. And she speaks regularly about the sanctity of human life. Laura Lynn Hughes, welcome to the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you, Thomas. So tell us your story. What uh, was it that you did that got you canceled? Well, uh, right at my book's release, uh, Facebook and Instagram uh, decided to label my book Choose Zoe Political. Um, not sure if it was, you know, the black man's arm or the tattoos on the arm on the cover or the little naked baby or possibly the tagline unplanned parenthood. Uh, choose Zoe. Zoe's a word for life in Greek in John 10.10. And so I'm not really sure why it was labeled political, but it was. And Facebook and Instagram uh caused my publisher about 30 hours of uh, phone calls and emails back and forth, and they ultimately shut her accounts down for over a year. So this wasn't just a denial of being able to purchase political ads. It was also um, deplatforming, quite quite different than just the normal little shadow ban or somebody doesn't like one of your uh, posts. So we've been fighting censorship. (laughs) Yeah, so your publisher was trying to buy ads to promote your book on Facebook, which is, you know, what good publishers do. <laughs> like, this is, like, this is not an unusual tactic. Indie authors buy lots of Facebook ads and uh, savvy publishers buy Facebook ads. And for a book like this with a real specific target, uh, they buy ads. But they're saying, you're not a, a book publisher, you're a political activist. And, because, and, and they kept you from being able to buy ads at all, which I will say is not how they treat normal political activists. Uh, I've bought... Uh, over 100,000 ads for different political organizations and candidates uh, or have managed over $100,000 worth of ad buys uh, for political candidates and uh, organizations over the years, and they had no trouble buying ads. <laughs> so this, so what you're saying is you felt like you were singled out because they didn't like the fact that this is a pro-life book. Absolutely. Um, and there was a big sweep that happened where um, – they were stopping uh, a bunch of uh, political ads because it was right near an election. And so if you had a, a tagline like um, guns or abortion, um, 
any hot topics, they were denying those ads. So they gave us the ability to purchase the ads and we ran one and then they shut the accounts down. And, and but not just during the, did they sh- just shut it down during the election or did they shut it down permanently? Over a year. For a whole year. So the whole, all of 2020. No, it was 2018, right at the pre-release. Oh, wow. So this is before all the drama. You got canceled before it was cool. (laughs) And, you know, I think that's why I had so much trouble getting anyone to listen to me, because I think they were confused on what was happening. Um, You know, your uh, publishing show on how to protect your author platform from big tech censorship of 2019, that is a phenomenal podcast. Um, And I would hope that everyone will listen to that. But yeah, 2018, it was happening a little sooner. And I called, you know, Alliance Defending Freedom. I called different um, pro-life lawyers and people would say, no, I never heard of it. I never heard of it. And I think they thought that I just had like one of my own posts come down. I could post anything I want on my personal uh, Facebook and I've rarely get um, anything taken down unless, well... When I was on Focus on the Family, Twitter did take that one down. And when I was on uh, Eric Metaxas on YouTube, just took that down. So what, so what typically happens on Facebook, because they don't take down the post so that you know that it was taken down, because that tends to make people angry. But what they do is they hide the post so that no one sees it. And so you post and you notice, wow, I'm not getting very many likes. I'm not getting very many comments. It's because Facebook's not showing it to people. Taking something down is where even if they seek it out, they can't find it. And uh, Facebook's very hesitant to do that because when people realize that they're getting censored on Facebook, they tend to leave Facebook. And Facebook doesn't want you to leave. They want you to stay there so they can keep selling your attention to advertisers. But they want to be very curated in who those advertisers are. Which is why it's odd that they don't want my money. So your publisher gets banned from Facebook, banned from advertising on Facebook for any of their books because they advertised your book. Is that right? And, you know, I I felt really bad because they had four books come out and I affected other people's marketing and advertisement. That was part of the publishing deal. Which is rough. (laughs) I'm just saying as a publisher uh, or somebody who's worked for a publisher, that's really rough because maybe advertising is a big part of your campaign. And to get all of your ads canceled, your ad account canceled, because one of your books is on a topic that is um, politically related. But your book wasn't really about politics. It wasn't about candidates or who to vote for. It was about the issue, educating about the issue of abortion, which obviously it's a big voting issue. People vote on that. But it's also just like an issue with life, like fighting racism or any other kind of issue. Exactly. And, you know, I tried to be really careful. Um, I lead a post-abortive ministry at my church. And so um, I'm not real political when it comes to abortion. I am very passionate when it comes to life. Let's put it that way. So I always um, I always fight from a victorious um, position. I always fight from a position of life that we all need help when it comes to pregnancy, whether we're married or not. And um, so to be caused um to be called political was quite disappointing and it really isn't my it's not my jam because there's two i've been active in the pro-life movement for a long time i was on the board of directors for a crisis pregnancy center and i was on the board of directors for a political organization and i will tell you that 
there is like two totally different pro-life movements. There's the political one that's like in the weeds on the bills and getting people elected and getting really dirty. You know, right? You can't get in the mud without getting in the mud uh, with the pigs. And then there's another part of the pro-life movement that's just ministering to women who are in unplanned pregnancies. And they're not really caring about the bills or the laws. They're just trying to help women in trouble. And that's the side of the ministry that you're on, right? You're not in the like, hey, I'm, you know, vote for so-and-so over so-and-so. You're like, hey, I want to help these women who are suffering. And yet Facebook canceled you. And then Twitter went on to cancel some of your interviews, right? And here's what's great. No one's going to cancel this interview because... I've built my whole platform on an uncancelable technology, right? So podcast interviews can't get canceled. Thank God. There's no company that controls uh, who the podcasts go out and how they're downloaded. It's on an open internet technology. And so I want to talk a little bit about what you've had to do, how you've been kind of forced to use open internet technologies rather than technologies named after companies. And I don't want to get too technical, but here's the Really good rule of thumb. If the name of the technology is the name of a company, you're a peasant. And if the name of the technology is something technical and not the name of a company, you're a free person. (laughs) That's the quick summary, right? So Twitter is a company. You're a peasant on Twitter. RSS, the technology behind podcasting, is a technology. You are a free citizen in RSS land. Absolutely. So I realized how important an email list is when uh, the social media went down. And uh, I just kind of got real busy here. And actually, in the last few months, um, I had about 400 people on my email list. And now I have a couple thousand. And I'm putting my efforts there uh, when I speak to be able to get people's email lists, um, because I realize that that is where I can have free speech and I can have some control. So you're doing it in the real world. You're like, you know what? I'm not going to rely on tech at all. I'm just going to talk in front of audiences in the real world and get their email addresses, and then I can email them directly using an email service. What Which email service do you use? I'm switching over to one right now because I'm in building, and so, excuse me, but I cannot remember the name of it. Um, no worries. Here's the wonderful thing about email is that there are hundreds of options. So the two that I recommend are ConvertKit and MailerLite, but those are two of hundreds. It's ConvertKit. It's ConvertKit. Uh, I really like ConvertKit. Okay, so that that is a, that is a Tom Sumstead approved choice. <laughs> so there are other good options, but I find ConvertKit to be uh, very easy to use. So let's let's walk through. So you, so you get canceled, and so you're kind of forced to start finding alternatives. Just recently, you started finding that public speaking is working and, and email is working. How else have you been getting the word out about your book with you being kind of silenced on social media? Well, I wrote a lot of handwritten letters and mailed them to people which is also a great way to get endorsements. Um, I wrote letters to the president and to the Pope, and I sent books. And, you know, when you send a a book on um, regular bulk media rate, it's like five bucks to send it. But when you send a book to the Vatican, it costs $35. (laughs) And so in the same week, I got a letter back from the Vatican and from the White House, from the president and from the Pope. And you know, I showed my kids and it, it really lifted my spirits because they were affirming my pro-life work and I grew a little stronger. So for me, you may reach out to someone to connect uh, to sell a book or you may reach out because, you know, you're you're kind of looking for the affirmation, which is not always a good thing. That can be a plus or a minus, um, but it did help me to spur, um, you know, my efforts to keep 
to keep moving, to keep being diligent. And writing, um, you know, is just a really wonderful way to stay relevant. Um, I emailed a lot of people. I wrote some articles. I wrote an article on Focus on the Family and Christianity Today. And, you know, that's a, a wonderful way of um, getting your story out without being canceled um, is with the written word. Um, I also traveled a lot. And anybody that would have me, anybody that I was trying to connect with, whether it was um, pregnancy clinics, whether it was influencers at conferences, I would um, travel and I would go to uh, meet keynotes and I would either put a card in their hand or I would ask for their email so that I could later send them a book so that they didn't have to take my book home with them because they're awful busy when they're there to be a keynote. Uh, once in a while, their assistant would say, I'll take the book or one of them said, oh, I'll read this on the way home. Um, that was really wonderful was being able to fly somewhere. And also like when I flew to Colorado Springs to be on Focus on the Family, I look up anything that's near there and I try to get on other radios. And I went to Family Talk with Dr. Dobson to be part of his uh, audience. And I took the book, A Strong-Willed Child, because I was a teen mom. I was pregnant at 15. My daughter is very strong-willed. And so I took his book and he signed it. And then I took my book and I signed it and gave it to him. So they're vetting the book as well. And it's those kind of things, you know, when, when you can't reach anybody because you're not famous, you're not high profile, then you have to go where they're at. And that proved very profitable for me. And when I would go to be on a small show in New Jersey, I called and said to the Eric Metaxas show, hey, you know, I'm in the area and I could be on your show October 31st or November 1st. And you know what? I got on the show. That was really exciting. And so you, you network and when you get to go somewhere and you fly somewhere and you have to pay for your airline, then you better, better make sure that it's worth your efforts and that you can go to um, a few medias if possible. And another thing you can do now that you've switched to ConvertKit, uh, ConvertKit, uh, I believe, allows you to email all of your email subscribers in a certain geographic area. And so if you're going to be in Denver, you can email everyone in a 50-mile radius of Denver and say, hey, I'm going to be in Denver. I'll be at such and such pizza place uh, uh, Tuesday at 7 if any of you want to meet up. I'm also speaking uh, Wednesday first thing at such and such church if any of you want to come. And the only people who get that email are the people in the area. So that way you can start growing that direct connection you have with your fans it's a really powerful social media free way of building actual social connections uh, with your audience that is very powerful uh, but i want to go back uh, to something you said earlier you know you sent you said you sent a letter to the pope and you sent a letter to the president uh, getting canceled is very disorienting and it's very scary and a lot of people when you tell them i got canceled they assume you did something wrong uh, people have a uh, a tendency to side with the powerful over the powerless. In fact, some of you listening, when you heard her story, like, "Oh, what did she really do? She probably she probably did something bad, right?" Facebook can't the rules can't be bad. The person must be bad, and uh, we have to fight that because <laughs> getting canceled is very scary. It's very isolating, especially for a younger person uh, who more of their life is on social media to get suddenly and dramatically cut off 
from your social connections. The way that you interact with your friends is really traumatic, which is why I've been trying to encourage people to start getting off of Facebook now. Because, you know, they did, they canceled you really early as like an experiment to see what would happen. But now they're, you know, they're canceling everybody. <laughs> they canceled the president, right? They, 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 there's no one who's so powerful that they can't be canceled by um, big tech. And it's really important to um, show love to people who are canceled. And, and especially if they're your friend to remind them, it's like, Hey, just because you're not on Facebook doesn't mean we can't be real life friends still. And I imagine it was really encouraging because you're like, am I doing something wrong? Did I do something wrong to get a letter from the Pope being like, Hey, keep at it. I know it's hard. <laughs> Pro-life isn't popular, but babies are worth protecting, right? Like that had, that had to be so encouraging to get that letter. It was so cool. And, you know, and I, I could just cry because my parents, uh, I was raised Catholic, and my parents are the ones that taught me that we're all made in God's image. And, you know, even pro-choice or, you know, people that have different feelings than us and atheists. And, you know, so I, I wrote this with love because we are all fashioned in love and we're all able to procreate. And so when I was affirmed by the Pope, I thought, oh, my gosh, my parents would just be dancing up there in heaven, you know. And it, it really did encourage me because, like I said, um, nobody else really cared. This is literally the first thing I've ever written. I've never even written, like, a story so this was the first thing that I've ever written, and it did very well in the first couple of days. You know, it sold 800 books. My publisher was really happy, and then it happened. And I was looking at a book deal with Sam's Club. I mean, this destroyed my um, launch, and I refused to – I mean, <laughs> it's too important, right? Babies, lives, and souls – are too important for us to just sit down when something happens. And Paul in the Bible, he reminds us that our battle is not with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And as Christians, we face never-ending struggles against evil. But, you know, we, we can be like Paul, like where, where we can say we, we know where our strength comes from. And... Yeah, I just, we're fighting a good fight. And so there's there's no reason for us ever to sit down because we are to fight from a place of victory in Christ. And it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And it doesn't mean that just because a door is closed that you should give up. There is a, a doctrine that pervaded the church in the last 20 years, that God speaks to you through open doors. Right? It's like, oh God, tell me what you want to do by opening a door for me. It's like, where in the Bible does God ever speak to somebody by opening a door, often he's like, "Hey, go into the promised land uh, and take it." Uh, but God, all the doors are closed. In fact, there's walls and like giants. It's like I don't care. I told you to go take the promised land. <laughs> and there's even a time uh, in um, Paul's writings when he says he doesn't go. There's some town he's going to visit, and he doesn't go there, even though God had opened a door for him. So he didn't have a piece about it because Titus wasn't with him. So he chose not to go through an open door because he didn't feel like it was the right thing to do. And so if we just follow the path of least resistance and we only go through the open doors and we avoid every closed door, we become very manipulatable because powerful people control the doors. We call them gatekeepers. It's like, who do we follow? Do we follow the king of all the world or do we follow the, the powerful men who are holding the gates and the powerful women, right? Like who, who's the boss? 
And sometimes if the, if the door is closed, you have to have the faith to find another way in, to break it down or to go through another door, right? Like don't let your context dictate your theology and your obedience. Absolutely. And I always say that um, big tech cannot stand against our big God. And I truly believe that. <laughs> um, and I, they just kind of messed with the wrong girl, basically, because as you can see, I don't care. I'll talk to anybody. I'll go anywhere to be able to, I mean, I'm a photographer by trade for over 30 years. Nobody is against me selling a picture of their preschool child or of their wedding or of their senior portrait. And I deserve that same right in the marketplace to be able to sell a book, a book that was written with love and creativity and people's stories are in there that are going to like give hope to people. And there's resources in there that are going to help people with their pregnancy loss, miscarriage, infertility, foster care adoption, um, abortion. There's, there's so much good in that book. And that's how we fight evil is with good. That's right. Don't curse the darkness, light a candle, as the old saying goes. Uh, what advice do you have for listeners who are feeling nervous about standing out from the crowd, right? From getting that criticism, not necessarily from the crowd, because it's not like you had an army of haters or trolls that canceled you. For you, it was a, a single powerful organization or, or a handful of organizations that canceled you, but it's still scary. So like, what advice do you have for somebody who is facing that maybe happening to them? I would say to the person that is uh, thinking they may or have been canceled to realize that you can never cancel truth, but you can always speak truth in love. And that's how we affect the culture. Even though we may get canceled, there's still people that are hurting out there. And when I have talked with love to the atheist or when I have talked with love to the pro-choice woman or the post-abortive woman, guess what? I have some of them reading my book, and I have five stars on Amazon from a couple of atheist pro-choice people who loved the stories that I told and felt that they could relate. And so don't be afraid of speaking the truth in love because it is always gentle. It is always God's plan, and it cannot get canceled. It never goes out of style. Amen. And getting counseled can be a good thing, right? Because it gives you an angle. Suddenly, you know, there's there are maybe a, several thousand pro-life books published every year, right? Like it's not a topic that nobody's writing on. And there's a lot of people sharing their stories and their experiences in crisis pregnancy centers. There's, for every one abortion clinic, there's like four or five crisis pregnancy centers, at least in Texas. I don't know about uh, the rest of the country, but we, we have a lot of them here. You can't throw a stone in this state without finding a crisis pregnancy center uh, that's funded by its local community. And you'll notice I'm using that phrase, not pregnancy resource center, because uh, I've looked at the research and no one knows what a pregnancy resource center is, but everyone knows what the crisis pregnancy center is. So the industry yes. tried to do a big um, term change. And I don't, I, I think that corporate speak is just awful <laughs> say what it is don't give some politically correct phrase that you think is you know less whatever but the reality is is that you can reach people directly and you don't have to hide and you don't have to be ashamed of the truth so here's the point i was trying to make a lot of books come out but yours was the one that was canceled and so yours is the one that everyone wants to talk about right there uh, a good example of this is um florida wanted to pass a, um, a bill 10 or 15 years ago to put uh, a license plate option called Choose Life. And it had two cute little kids on it. 
and money from the license plate purchase, which was totally optional, right? You could choose to pay extra for the special license plate uh, would go to help uh, crisis pregnancy centers, right? Women in trouble. And there was this big hullabaloo and this big court battle. And they tried to cancel this license plate. And it was a big five-year court battle and all of this press. And at the end of the day, everybody in Florida or a lot of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people wanted this license plate because they all heard about it. Well, in Texas, we we're like, oh, we're going to get this license plate, too. And we couldn't get anyone to try to cancel it. There was no court battle. And then we had a totally <laughs> different problem, which is everyone uh, wasn't excited about the license plate. It was the exact same license plate. But in Florida, they tried to cancel it and it became a, this like thing of desire. Right. We want what we can't have. Uh, whereas in Texas, uh, it became, you know, people have it. Right? And it's, it's not like you don't see it ever, but it's not nearly as popular as the one in Florida because they didn't try to cancel it. So being canceled actually can be uh, a huge blessing in terms of marketing. And, and, and I will say, you're probably blessed by being forced to look at ways outside of social media. Because even when you're not canceled on social media, it's not a great way to promote your book and never has been. No one will show numbers of, oh, look at this amazing results I've gotten on Facebook. Here are the numbers. They never show that because they're very rarely ever there. Well, it's it's quite funny, too, Thomas, that you talked about those license plates, because I'm in California, so I'm at the battleground of the pro-life movement. I mean, you wouldn't imagine the things that we're doing here in California. And um, I'm at a pregnancy clinic as well. But the, um, the law came down in California where we cannot have a Choose Life license plate. There is a law against it. So my license plate says, choose Zoe. And Zoe is the Greek word for life, right? <laughs> in John 10, 10. So I found a way to get around that. And it's kind of fun. Um, and I'm really excited, too, that you're showcasing me on your um, podcast here. Because really, um, being uh, censored and canceled has not really helped me sell any books because no one has talked to me about it. Um, you're the first um, podcast, um, TV, radio, anybody that has really talked to me about it and given me this type of a platform um, in the industry. So when you're on Focus on the Family, they weren't talking about you being canceled. They were talking about the book itself. Absolutely. Yes. Everyone talks to me about the book itself. This is the first time um, that anyone has talked to me about this. Um, when when something gets canceled, I let folks on the family know. Uh, of course, Eric Metaxas know he's been taken down off of YouTube. I let people like that know. But um, I'm always interviewed about the book because the stories are fascinating. Yeah. There's two ways to go about, go about it, right? You can just keep advocating the book and not play up the, the canceled angle. And I do think that in 2018, people probably assumed you were doing something wrong. Like the idea that a big tech company could be overreaching. It's like, no, Facebook is our friends. <laughs> it's like they, they have our best interests at heart. And now I don't think anybody really believes that anymore. I, I, and, and not just in the United States, because um, Facebook's even scarier for every other country because they're like, there's this big American corporation that can cancel what our elected, democratically elected officials can say. It's one thing when an American company does that to an American democratically elected official. But when a foreign company does that, that's really scary. And so Germany's like, we're not okay with this. And Australia's like, we're not okay with this. Like, we don't want some foreign unelected company controlling the political discourse in our country. It's a really scary thing, the amount of power that we've given Facebook. And one of the 
best things that you can do if you're trying to reduce the power of Facebook in your life is to go in and turn off the notifications when you get content liked. When somebody likes something, you get the little red arrow inside the app that creates an addictive loop that keeps you using the app. And if you just turn that off, so you only get notified when somebody comments on something, Facebook will become more useful, less addictive, and they'll have less control over your day-to-day actions. That's great advice. So tell us about your book. You know, we talked around, we talked about the cancel part. Tell, tell us, and we talked a little bit about your book, but uh, tell us about what's actually in the book. Well, um, you know, I was pregnant at 15 uh, in a Catholic school back in Billings, Montana, and youngest of eight kids, and I didn't go over very well, but my mother was in a pregnancy uh center back in Billings, Montana. And my father is very pro-life. And so they were, um, although the church and the school um, canceled me back then, haha, uh, I was asked to leave my parochial school and my church. And um, it was it was quite disturbing at the time, but my parents believed in the gospel and they believed in the sanctity of human life. And so they, they taught me to parent. They, I lived there while I went to high school and they showed me love for my daughter and it was just really really you know precious and and did i learn my lesson no um i was pregnant again as 50 percent of the teen girls that are pregnant are going to be pregnant again within a year whether they've aborted placed the baby for adoption miscarried or parented there i was pregnant again and i didn't tell anyone again same boyfriend same drama that um the sexual immorality and the searching for love, that hole, that God hole that only he can fill um, was still there. And I was pregnant again. And and that time, Thomas, it was just so sad. Um, I lost a little boy at 22 weeks. And, you know, babies are living now at 21 weeks. And he was perfectly formed. And, um, you know, he just uh, means so much to me. And he really led me into the arms of Jesus. And so in, in one year, I experienced the joy of motherhood and then the pain of motherlessness, you know? And um, so I've always been very passionate about helping young people that are pregnant. I've been in a pregnancy clinic here for, you know, nearly a couple decades now. And in one month, we had three 12-year-old pregnant girls. And I went home that night and I just cried out to God, like, how can I help? And it was like 3.30 in the morning, you get that Holy Spirit nudge, like, get up and write, write, you know, educate my people. I'm like, I've never written an article. I've never written anything. I don't even read books. Couldn't even hardly read to my kids. I kind of read backwards. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Write a book. And I got up in the morning and, you know, and I'm like, what is this supposed to be? And I felt like Jesus was saying, just use me. I was, you know, from the most famous uh, unplanned pregnancy, at least as far as Mary and Joseph knew, planned by God, but pretty unexpected for Mary and Joseph. And so I just started writing. I started writing my story of teen pregnancy and miscarriage. And, and then I started looking at, well, wait, there's no books on infertility. You know, let's, let's talk about abortion. Let's talk about abortion recovery. Let's interview people who, with, who have been through foster care and then they've been adopted. Let's talk to people who have adopted. Let's talk to people who have had a diagnosis, a fetal um, diagnosis in the womb. And so there's a family in there that talks about how important it is with um, a diagnosis when you find out you have a child uh, with Down syndrome, that you get second opinions, that you talk to other people that are raising those children. I mean, they got an extra chromosome, but they got a lot of extra dopamine too. They give the best hugs. And it's like, we can get through anything as human beings. 
if we have the right support and the right loving care. And so with with looking at the book, I just started looking at, okay, what are what are the exceptions that normally people say, you know, well, I I don't believe in abortion, but if you're raped or if, you know, there might be a fetal abnormality with the child or maybe that the mother's life um, or health may be in danger. And so it's kind of helping people look through storytelling at all of those aspects. And then there's resources in the back of the book for anybody in any state who might go through any of these things um, because they're just not talked about. And then I'm also have a little portion in there where I'm teaching churches to talk about it from the pulpit and teaching churches how to have a post-abortive ministry in their church because men and women are sitting in the pews every day that regret that decision. And that decision is a long-lasting decision. And so I really feel like if we're going to speak life, then we need to we need to embrace everybody. We need to talk about all aspects of sexuality and pregnancy and pregnancy loss because the church has missed out in this area. And we can no longer do that. There are lives at stake. Amen. Amen. And uh, I love that you're including those stories because uh, not just your own story, because it's in reading m- multiple stories that we get a better um, perspective, right? Because one story is just an anecdote, but you get enough of them, you start to get a, a better view of the of the big picture. And it's it's so important to uh, embrace, right? How do you support life? You do it by supporting love, right? You, you do it in love, right? Because hatred leads to death and love leads to life. And that means loving our enemies, loving those who are hurting, loving those who are broken. And it's messy and it's difficult. And uh, yeah, so I, I support you. If you want to find out more about the book, go to choosezoe.com. Uh, there's links there that will take you to the bookstores that do have it in stock uh, at the moment. Uh, it's currently available at Amazon, but you never know. Uh, the pro-life movement has been under the gun for a long time, uh, long before uh, many other issues were under the gun. The pro-life movement was under the gun. It's very hard to get anything pro-life on television, for instance. Uh, even a pro-life commercial is hard. They, they do not want to hear what we have to say because we know they know it's so powerful because it's the truth. <laughs> it's like you, you know that you've lost the argument when your only response is to silence the other side. Uh, right? That's you either have the truth or you don't. You ever either have a good answer or you don't. And we have the answer, and the answer is love. Now, Laura, uh, any final tips or encouragement for somebody who's afraid of being canceled, or maybe they've just been canceled and they're listening to this episode uh, looking for hope? Absolutely. I would say that, you know, one of the ways that we fight the cancel culture is through prayer and through the light. And so if you just realize that um, we, we don't overcome evil, um, by by more evil, we overcome it with uh, with good, and so I would just encourage you to keep doing good. Don't grow weary of doing good; um, it will reap a harvest. And I just um, hope and pray that you will um, find that strength to be strong and courageous, and also to um, find the platforms that you can own that. No, no one can cancel. And um, in that way, then you'll still be able to affect the culture um, with the love of the gospel. And I would uh, also urge you, if, if anyone here listening today um, is struggling with an abortion in your past, whether you paid for one, whether you had one, I would really like for you to um, 
reach out to me. I can find some kind of hope and healing for you. And I really love the one-on-one connection. Today, we've talked about, um, you know, podcasts and being on fancy TV shows and the platforms, but I love to talk to you one-on-one. I promise you, you connect with me and we will become best buds. I will find um, you resources for anywhere that you need in the U.S. and international. Um, There's pregnancy clinics all over. So just, you know, be brave, be courageous. Um, There's always, always hope out there for you. And um, I would just really love to to connect. And if you're having trouble with um, being canceled, um, I will also have um, a paper that um, I can send you on the the five best ways that I found to beat the cancel culture as a Christian author, I will um, be able to email that to you as well. So whether you're a writer, whether we're talking today about the pregnancy part or the writing part, um, I'm here for you and I will help you in any way that I can. All right. And we'll have links to all of that, or there are links to all of that. Choosezoe.com if you want to get uh, a hold of uh, Laura Lynn Hughes. And I'll also say, I'll also say I have a bunch of episodes on cancel culture on my other podcast, Novel Marketing, because that is a as a marketing and messaging challenge. It's something that we talk a lot about, and we talk about it more on the technical side, right? Because there's there's two ways you embrace it, right? You fight it in the spiritual, uh, but there are also things that you can do in uh, the physical uh, to make yourself less vulnerable to powerful companies. And part of that is becoming more tech savvy yourself. Uh, which makes you more powerful yourself. So you're a lot, they can't push you around as easily, which is uh, why I'm very thankful to have this platform where I can have you on uh, and not have to worry about uh, anyone censoring me because I'm not asking their permission. <laughs> so, and I'm not yeah. using their, I'm not using their platforms. I'm, I'm paying um, uh, for this to happen. So, and if you're looking for help uh, in your publishing journey, whether it's finding an editor, finding an agent, finding a cover designer, or just finding a mentor, uh, our podcast is sponsored by the Christian Writers Market Guide, which is the definitive uh, source of professionals in Christian publishing to help you with every aspect, whether it's marketing, accounting, uh, agenting, all of it. You can find really excellent people at ChristianWritersMarketGuide.com. Laura Lynn Hughes, thank you so much for joining us today on the Christian Publishing Show. Thank you for having me. God bless you all. Thank you for listening to the Christian Publishing Show. For more information and to get episodes delivered to your phone automatically, visit ChristianPublishingShow.com.